This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face newly promoted Brentford in a never-ending quest for those first three points of the season. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me are regular panellists Tom and Adam. And listeners, we're here to talk about a win we did a win, we did a win, let's have a big party. Um, Tom, Adam, welcome to the show, both of you. Tom, starting with you, you must be delighted. We have something exciting to talk about. Yes, it makes a nice change on it, Being, having a bit more positivity to talk about. I don't have to work so hard, I've got no Richard Rance this week. Uh, and it was the first time, I didn't go to the Rochdale game, so the first time I've seen his winning the flesh since February 2020, so it was a really nice milestone for me to stick up there. Wow, wow, excellent. Um, Adam, you must be feeling relieved now as well? Yeah, I was starting to think I were the problem ever since I've joined the team. We've, uh, we've not won a league game. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say, <laughs> no. comes in, starts sabotaging fantasy Premier League results and then starts being the bad omen as well. We were very close to banning you. In fact, we had a bit of a technical hiccup tonight, listeners, where Adam couldn't get into the Zencaster room to start recording. And I did just basically make a comment to say we banned him, but uh, we were only joking, we were only joking. Um, we are, of course, able to reflect back on an absolutely thrilling, scintillating, in fact, 3-1 home win against newly promoted Brentford, where the Clarets literally came out flying and did not let up for any moment during that first half performance. Second half performance, much more subdued, but the job was done. You come in... And you come in the second half, 3-0 up at home, and you manage to ride ride out that first 10 minutes of pressure from the opposition in the second half. It was a very professional way of just seeing out the game. Um, Adam, let's start with you. Um, obviously, we'll go into the specifics of, of, of the goals, for example, and some key performances. But what impressed you the most about that first half display? Oh, everything. No, the, the uh, intensity from, um, from the off. Um, we do tend to start games pretty well and then uh, and then maybe fade slightly. But like you said, they just kept it up all the way in the first half. The intensity, um, like you said, we'll talk about individuals, but um, Lawton, McNeil, all all over the pitch, they were just flying from the off. It was exactly what we needed. Um, 
exactly what the crowd needed. And to get that early goal just um, just filled everyone with confidence. And uh, when the sun came out at three o'clock after it had been chucking down all day, I just, uh, just had that good feeling. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, was there anything tactically that you think changed and what gave us that lift? Because you and I have talked quite a lot this season about performances not being that bad, but results not really mirroring those performances. Could you put your finger on anything specific that was done differently or fell for us that converted those performances into a win? I think something that really stood out for me was the amount of movement that we had Excuse me, in the final third. Um, we've spoke about the Norwich game, I know in that one, it was when Vidra went off injured that I really thought we were going to struggle here because three centre-halves and all we could do when Vidra went off was send endless crosses into the box, we all got headed away. This time we asked so many more questions of a back three. You know, there was little balls around the corner, we were playing in the spaces between the centre-halves, they didn't know who to pick up. Corne, one minute he'd be in the middle of midfield, next he's on the left wing, then he's up front. McNeil as well, moving about a lot. Um, and would look uh, would look very mobile as well. Um, probably not the best choice of defender to put against Ward. I don't think. I think uh, they didn't really have any pace to no, totally. to, to, to stop him. But yeah, it's that it's that fluidity up front and the different options that Corne gives us there. Um, the fact that we had two wingers either side of him as well, so we had a lot more ball players in the final third than you usually see from us. And I think uh, probably Brentford weren't expecting that. You know the. Set up, they must have watched that Norwich game. They thought if we set up with three center halves, we're gonna have uh, a field day heading these crosses away, but it didn't work out like that. So, um, and obviously, when you get the goal that early as well, it really throws their their tactical setup into disarray. So, yeah, that, that's what really stood out for me the, the good football we played on the floor, passing, moving, really quick, really fluid, it, and it was really, really enjoyable to watch. I thought, yeah, it really was. Um, let's stick in with you, Tom. I mean. Uh... Obviously, we saw it was a it was a dream start for it. Really, Woody firing that absolutely incredible goal into into the nets, and and, and obviously that's exactly what you need is is your, your strikers to be putting those chances away. I didn't think it was a goal that we used to really seeing from Woody, to be honest. But do you put Woody down as a confidence kind of striker? And if so. You know how much do we think this is now going to kick on? You know from the season, or did you maybe put his lack of goals down to something else? Um, I think the main problem that he's had at the start of the season is that he's, he's barely got any service. Um, I can't think of that many great balls he's had yeah. that, like that that sent him through. Um, you know, like uh, probably the the reason that you don't see him score that many of those is because he's normally offside, and obviously that proved with the second goal as well, the disallowed goal as well. Um, but they bent his run really well. Obviously had a bit of luck there. The defender should have should have cleared it, and, and he's only helped it on for Wood. But uh, you know, you don't lose that kind of finishing instinct. You can see the keeper did it a bit. He was in no man's land, and Wood knew exactly what he was going to do. It reminded me a bit of um, when we beat Crystal Palace one 0 in the Europe season. That the Wood scored a goal where the keeper comes rushing out, and he doesn't think about it. He just hits it first time, passes it into the, into the back of the net. It reminded me of that one a bit. He saw the keeper off his line, he knew exactly what he was going to do. Bang in the bottom corner, great finish, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily confidence. I just think if you get enough balls like that to him in the box, he'll put you know he'll put one or two away, and we've barely done that this season. Uh, you know that Norwich game, like I say, how many of those crosses into the box went anywhere near? And very very few, if any. So, yeah. you know, if we can keep yeah. that level of service for him, he's a centre forward who will prove he'll get double figures every season. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, if if our attacking play continues to improve like it did on Saturday, then he'll be back amongst the goals and, and he'll be scoring regularly again. Yeah. Um... One thing that Tom's just highlighted then, Adam, is 
this the second goal, which followed very very quickly, which uh, God, who is Maxi, put in the in the in the net, um, judged offside by VAR. Now, I thought this season that the rule was where VAR, where an offside call was that close, that the benefit of doubt would be given to the striker. And when I've looked at that again, it doesn't seem to be, like it seems to be another toenail one. I can't see the difference. And I don't know how you viewed that, whether you agreed with that or whether you are shaking your head a little bit like me as to how on earth that's not been given to the benefit of the striker. Yeah, I thought it was close at the time. Um, and you just always think Wood's going to be offside, even when, even with the really close calls with all the uh, the history of him winning the golden flag. But um, you knew it was a really close call at the time. Uh, it's probably the closest one I've seen uh, disallowed. I think the new new rules say that if the lines aren't touch, um, aren't they can only be disallowed if the lines aren't touching. So if they are touching, it should be given. I've not really seen a definitive. Um, picture of it um where it's close enough to actually see if there's a gap uh so i don't know if um you'd hope that the technology would tell them uh whether the whether it's right or wrong and it wouldn't be left up to someone in a in a room uh but i've not seen any clarification mm. of it afterwards but yeah we're definitely the closest one today that i've seen disallowed and when you're in the stands and you've been to the brighton game and we've gone one nil up continue to dominate not got that second goal and then been eventually punished. Uh, it just it was just horrible to see it actually disallowed. And you're just thinking, oh no, we've fallen the wrong yeah. side of it again. And what's going to happen now? But um, obviously there were no worries about that this time. And it were another. Um, they were they were very similar, weren't they? The first, the, well, the the, go, the first goal and then the disallowed goal. Switch a play to the right. Great ball, um, and. And I think Tom, uh, not Tom, I think Richard on his uh, on one of his mega rants last week that was uh, really enjoyable to listen to, um, made so many good and bad calls in the same rant. It were it were just fantastic. He said, "Drop Wood, uh, love to see Vidra playing because if Wood plays, we're going to play long balls, but we need to get Corne in number ten in the number ten role uh, and play the balls in the channels and really try and take advantage of uh, of it." So. It, I just listened to it. Well, in hindsight, listening to it, you just got so much right and so much wrong. But uh, I think that's what happens when you when you've got so much emotion uh, going through you. But he did this get is quite very a bit right brave, Adam Dennett. <laughs> well, he's not here. This is, is he? very very brave, Adam Dennett. <laughs> I know, but he's going to listen to me. I was listening to that, and I was like, um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to put him no, in the group chat. Right. We did in the uh, in. <laughs> With that bat three, we did switch play really well and get in behind them really quickly, move the ball quickly, yeah. and and it really caused them problems. It was great, great to watch. Yeah, it really was. Um, Tom, another player who impressed me, well, actually thought, I thought the whole team played very well um, at the weekend, but one player particularly impressed me was Matt Lawton, who seemed to be on one of the Lawton spells that he has. Um, and I saw a tweet um, and. Forgive me, I can't remember who it was. I really should take screenshots of these so I can give people proper credit for them. But somebody put out a tweet that basically acknowledged that Matt Lawton tends to perform particularly well 
when he has competition for his place. And of course, Connor Richards has now come in, had a fantastic performance at the cup level. And a lot of people are quite rightly highlighting that we have some younger legs there um, ready to take over the reins once Barsley and Lawton um, are no longer first choice. Um, and as it showed on Saturday, I thought he was very direct. I thought he got up front. He put some fantastic balls in for um, Wood. You were talking earlier about service to Chris Wood. Matt Lawton was one of the serious providers of said service at the weekend. Um, do you put Matt Lawton down to a player that thrives on competition or you know, are we are we trying to read something that's not really there? I think it probably helps. Um, you must, you know, you obviously know if uh, if you're not playing well and your place is fairly secure anyway compared to if it's not. Thought Roberts was was pretty solid against Tottenham. Uh, I didn't think he was maybe as spectacular as some said. The long throws were a lot of fun, um, and obviously that does put pressure on on you if you've come up to the shirt. You have got to step up and perform, and you know he, he did that in the best way. Obviously, fantastic ball through forward for the first goal. What I really liked about his second was, um, you know, the, we spoke. I've spoke a lot about the Norwich game already. I'm not over it yet, as you can tell. Um, but the amount of times Taylor stood up across to the back post in that Norwich game. And, and there was just no one there at the back post. And it looked to me like he'd paid attention to that. He took the gamble of staying up um, and obviously float across into the back post. This time there's someone there and he, and he took it with a plum. So that was really good to see. Um, you know, absolutely undroppable if he's playing like that. Um, I think he's always had that quality, perhaps a little bit of a lack of consistency. But um, I think one thing that I do think with his crossing, noticed it in the last couple of years, he seems to cross from further and further back that's obviously something that he's told to do, but it, obviously it makes it's more difficult if you if you yeah, sort of stood yeah. on the halfway line or that far back off off the pitch. It's difficult to put a decent ball in, and I thought he did get a bit further forward on Saturday, um, and obviously reap the rewards. So yeah, really really good performance. And uh, you know, if you keep playing to that standard, then Roberts is is going to be waiting a while to, to get in the team. Yeah, quite rightly too as well. I think um, we do talk a lot sometimes about. Daesh and our frustration with him of maybe being stubborn when it comes to team selection and particularly when a player's out of form but at the end of the day you've got to take the advantages of that when you have a player who's playing very well and doesn't then lose their their place either because you know you you get the consistency of results and you get consistency of performances um We'll come on to, to Maxwell Corney in a moment, Adam, because I think every single week could be a Maxwell Corney show because we are Maxwell FC and we are happy about that. Um, I think for those of you who've been subscribing to Jamie Smith and his team's known and ever newsletter, um, he quite rightly relabeled as Maxwell FC. And, and you know what? We're embracing it. Um, there were probably the only downside for me from that first half and... Listen, listeners, I caveat this by this is purely from an analysis perspective. You know, it was a fantastic performance. But there were a couple of quite, ooh, ouch misses from JBG, which didn't fill me with a massive amount of confidence in terms of, of ability when we do lose um, Maxwell to the um, African League Nations Cup. So are we being slightly unfair to be critical of JBG? I think the first chance is maybe better than the second one. Um, what were your takes on those? Uh, yeah, you'd you'd hope he'd he'd put put it away. He seems to have a real lack of confidence on his right foot. You, when the keeper's come out that far and he's taken yeah. it that far, the only way you think he's going to put it in the in the net is taking it round him and, and finishing with his with his right foot. But um, he, he has scored some um, some really like good goals for us in the past. 
Um, and, and I've not really, I can't think of many times where, where he's been in those sort of situations. We don't really find ourselves uh, one-on-one one with a keeper that, that often, uh, to be honest. So I think that were uh, another measure of how good the performance were that, that we got into that position um, again down that right-hand side. And we were causing them a lot of problems down that side and JBG played his part in that in the first half. Um, he's, he's not a striker. He's not going to score as 10 goals a season, is he? But um, I think, yeah, it was. Again, after the disallowed goal for him to, to miss that that chance, uh, you're just thinking, oh, no, not again, not again. Uh, we need to really start start punishing uh, punishing in them for these. But, yeah, the second one were a bit more difficult on his right foot. Um, the, he didn't have much to aim for. Uh, it'd have been a really, really nice finish if he would have managed it. He went back across the keeper, uh, which you kind of want to do, and it fell to Wooden on another day. That that could have uh, could have bounced well for us, and uh, and it had been the fourth just before half time, anyway. So try not to be too critical after uh, after Saturday. And I think overall he's been pretty decent this season. I think the balance of the team, like Tom said, we're a lot better with. Uh, JBG, McNeil mm. and Carney all in the side. Uh, so Definitely. Yeah, try not to be too harsh. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. I just think it, I think I'm probably just a little bit nervous because our league position does look a little bit precarious at the moment, albeit obviously that result, that win was, it was a huge bounce for us in terms of, of the table. Um, Tom, did you want to just follow up on that point? I think you've got your hand up there. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to say about... Um, you know, and when he's playing, I think he's he's a lot more disciplined than, than McNeil or Corne. I think he does a lot more of the off the ball work, covers his, his full back. He does a lot more running, and I think that that also contributed to how much more solid we look. We spoke a lot about Southampton about the gaps in the midfield, the fact that Corne and McNeil weren't tracking back with the runners, and I think you get a lot of that from Goodmanson. So, what he perhaps lacks in quality in the final third compared to them two, you do get that back with him. So, I think uh, you've got to give him that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. A really good point. Um, I think I forget. Generally speaking, you know, you, you, you've got to. We, we give our players a lot of. Oh gosh, we've got hands up all over the place. Adam, there's a rebuttal there. What did you want to say? <laughs> no, it was just I, I wasn't ignoring the uh, the corner part of that question. Um, obviously, I think um, it'd be a massive miss. You take, especially on this form, uh, out yes. of any team, then they'd they'd struggle. But um, you look at the performances against two teams at home that we expect to be competitive and probably get the win against Norwich and Brentford coming up. Um, and you can't mm. ignore that he was involved and, and he definitely has lifted the side when he, when he is in it. Um, and hopefully that doesn't play on, uh, on the players' minds when he, when he is absent. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying not to think about it yet, especially after all, um, all the positives from Saturday, but I'm sure it'll come round quicker than, yeah. uh, than we want. I saw when some is it? That Do being, we know when it is? I think he'll go around New Year, won't he? I don't know if he'll manage to play the Man United game on the 28th uh, before he goes. But, um, yeah, it's one of them. You normally want Ugh. international players to do well, don't you, uh, when they go away. But you, just want, to, you want them to lose all group games and no. get him back as quick as yeah. you can. Definitely. Um, I really, if Because I think if, if Ivory Coast win, it's like eight games, isn't it, that he's missing? Yeah. Like, yeah. I saw rumours no, last week it. about... Sorry, about it being called off completely because of uh, something going wrong in Cameroon and um, and there were loads of like French statements coming out and everything and people were translating them wrong. But I think that were all a bit false. It just got my hopes up a bit, really. So, 
we'll see. <laughs> we do cling to things as Burnley fans, don't we? We grasp yeah. the slightest little rumour or the slightest bit <laughs> of comment and go, we'll have that, we'll have it. Um, well, let, let's stick with, with Corne then, um, Tom, because, of course, it was, I thought, actually, quite a, not subdued, subdued isn't the right word, but for once, the, for that first half, he wasn't necessarily the standout player. And obviously, we're not going to underestimate the influence he has on the movement in the team and the creativity. But actually, until he scored, I thought he was, he was, he blended in, you know, like normally when we've had a poor performance from the rest of the players, he's been a standout player. Um, but it just goes to show the talent of the guy that he can have a relatively quiet game by his standards, get a sniff of goal and just take it. Yeah, I think maybe there was a bit less of the spectacular on view. Um, the thing that stood out for me was that he seemed to be linking up better with his teammates. I don't know if that's from the change of position or just playing more games with him, getting more of an understanding. Um, the one that stood that stood out for me was the, the one you were talking about earlier with the um, the ball across to Goodmanson for his second chance. Um, he takes that really well. He looks up, he sees his man. Um, I think his goals at Southampton and and Leicester, he's been on the end of things, but I, th- I thought he was a bit more involved in the build-up than I've seen him previously. Um, like I said, I don't know whether that's the position or just getting to understand his teammates better. I think linking up with McNeil, he's, he's sort of the second best footballer, if you like, in the team. He's, he's going to help him with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, he doesn't have to be the headline man every week. Um, you know, just contributing to the team as he did is, is excellent. And, you know, even despite all that, he scored a, a goal that, as I say, was, was incredibly marginally offside and then he scored an absolute crack with his right foot as well so uh yeah just just gets better every week you know i was gushing about him last week and i've uh i've run out of superlatives he really is great isn't he? brilliant yeah yeah he really is and i just i kind of love the way that he's completely found himself a home at burnley and it's like he runs around taking pictures with fans and like reposts fans insta stories and it's just it's just like the happiest He's like the footballing equivalent of Buddy the Elf. That's that's just the way that he has this excitement and and almost like this this giddiness about him. And he just he just wants to play and he just wants to ah with the fans and he's just is amazing. I absolutely adore him already. Tom, we talked about this very quickly before we came on air. Um, a couple of other talking points from that game. It wasn't that actually eventful in terms of incidents. We've already talked about the VAR offside. Um, do you shouts for a penalty? We think it was on Westwood, if we remember correctly. But interestingly, neither of us have been able to see any replay. It's not been on any highlights since. So we're just going to mention it very briefly. And if, if, if any of our listeners have got any comments about this, then please get in touch with the show and do it. But do we think there was a penalty shout there on Westwood for that shove? Yeah, I sit Jimmy Mack up or so on the opposite end from it. Um, at the time, it looked to me like, well, there was sort of two or three players around him and I thought, well, they can't all have got the ball. So it did look like someone might have, you know, made uh, the, the, the word the match that they probably love to use, they might have made contact. Obviously not that that's necessarily a penalty. I didn't know if maybe he went down a bit theatrically. But as you say, there weren't any replays, so that makes you think of one or two things, either that you know there was a lot of other stuff that they had to cover in the game, um, or probably more likely that there wasn't that much in it and therefore it wasn't worth sharing again. So um, if, we, if we'd have made a draw or a loss, then we got really annoyed about it. But being as we won, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> Diplomatically put, Tom. Thank you. Um, in terms of general league position then, Adam, we... 
have to consider we're still in the in the bottom three. We did have a bit of a respite from relegation zone uh, with Norwich and Leeds playing on Sunday, but we are now back in there, unfortunately. Um, but it obviously it just closes that pack up. If we'd have lost at the weekend and, and Leeds had have won as they did against Norwich, I think that would have put us possibly in just the, the biggest amount of pain ever. Um, do you ever put any weight against the beating against the opposition? Because I know a lot of people just say, well, we'll just get three points against Liverpool or against United or somebody like that and get some bonus three points. Whereas I'm massively an advocate for the importance of taking points off your relegation rivals. And I think specifically, do you allocate any credit to just deflating the Brentford push at all? Where do you stand on this? I think um, I think it's very it's very hard not to plan out where you're going to get points uh, as a fan. Like, I think most Burnley fans have probably already written off that we're not going to get anything from Chelsea this weekend. Um, we do tend to get something somewhere where you uh, where you don't expect us to every season. I've not looked at uh, any stats on it, but I think we've definitely taken points off the big six um, at some point of every season that we've that we've been in the in the top flight. Uh, you can't rely on them. The, the games against um, the Brentfords, the Norwiches, the Brightons, Leeds, like we've had so far, are probably going to determine where you end up in um, in that bottom six to eight teams at the end of the season. Um, obviously yeah. take out our couple of wonder seasons where we've got 54 points but um, yeah they're going to they are massive games for us and, and just the confidence that we can take from that going into uh, we've got a decent run of fixtures after after the Chelsea game where you'd hope we're going to pick up some points but if we'd have been going into that game having drawn or lost against Brentford we'd have been five points from safety um, Chelsea next international break where like where's where's it going to begin so it's an absolutely massive win. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the opposition in Brentford, I think we've played them at a good time um, with uh, injuries. They had Pinnock out the previous week or went off injured the previous week. Don't know whether he were up to speed. Uh, and Bumo and Tony have obviously linked up really well in the first few games and they've been unbeaten away from home and, and really been dangerous. Whereas the lad who came in, I don't know much about him, uh, Force, um, he really he barely got a kick all afternoon. Uh, Taki and, um, and Ben Me just yeah dealt with him really well. Uh, so it, it might have been a different game if they'd have been firing on all cylinders. But um, you'd like to think with the performance we put in, uh, like Thomas Frank said, it was uh, written in the stars. Nice, uh, nice pun there, Tom. He wasn't a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> Notice he put that in a chat box. He didn't dare say that on air. Oh, you've now got to call a, him now out. Now he's a that. big time. <laughs> yeah, now he's a big time terrorist celebrity. He's Just uh, jealous. I didn't rep. think of he's it before, uh, before I started speaking. <laughs> I know, you should do. Our, our listeners like a good pun. They'd have been, uh, they'd have been sending him in left, right and centre. Um how I don't think there's anything else really to talk about in terms of the game. I think, oh, actually, no, there's something to talk about. Adam, I'll stick with you at the moment. Um, Burnley fans being Burnley fans because they are, and you know, we're a rare breed. Um, there were genuine whingers coming off the turf on Saturday that number one, Dyche took Corney off, and that was apparently a bad thing. Number two, we conceded a goal, and that's a terrible thing. 
And number three, that we didn't go hell for leather in the second half and beat Brentford like five or six nil, that we just took our foot off the gas. I have absolutely no problem with any of those things. And I'm hoping, Adam, that you massively agree with me. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, I don't think... I think <laughs> Daesh has uh, referenced it a few times in the past. When we have been to... When a team is 2 or 3 nil up at half-time, the other team really does have nothing to lose and it's it's hard to repeat that performance again um, against a team that, that doesn't have anything to lose. But I think we controlled it relatively well. Uh, I don't want to moan too much about the centre of midfield, but I thought Westwood and Browner were still mm. sloppy at times. I were... Well, for the majority of um, of the second half, um, I was more annoyed at Brownhill. My dad were more annoyed at Westwood, so I don't know. I think it was just perception, but it is still an area that worries me going forward. So here we go. I'm getting uh, caught up in the negativity as well. But you know, I didn't have a problem with the way we managed <laughs> the game. Um, the goal, again, sloppy play by us before and in the build-up, but, um, but the finish were tremendous. But again, you're just thinking, why? I, would, I was literally just getting comfortable. You can't when you haven't won for that long. Um, yeah. You're still, it was still a nerve-wracking occasion, even though we were playing well, we were 3-0 up, they weren't causing as many problems. Um, but yeah, that goal flies in and then they got a free kick a couple of minutes later and you just, it's never easy, is it? Uh, but you, you wouldn't have found me whinging no. coming off the toe if I were in my own bubble of joy. I didn't even hear any of the uh, naysayers either. So, um, oh, yeah, I don't know how I missed that. Yeah, good for you. I've got to say, Tom, once they did score that first, the the Burnley fan DNA in me literally had a bit of a, oh, no, let's not, if we can, screw, if we can see another one, it's going to be horrible. Did you have, you are cool as, you are our Mr. Cool of the podcast. Did you have any nerves at all when they scored that first goal? Well, if you're watching that game as a neutral or with a rational head, you're thinking, well, that's a, a good finish. But, you know, the, the previous 75 minutes does not suggest that Pike's going to have that much more to do between now and the end of the game. However, you know, watching that as a Burnley fan, I was in the nerves for the last 15 minutes. You know, every time they took it in the no corner, way. Yeah, there two minutes. The thing is, I think, and I think this speaks to the approach that we took in the second half as well. You know, we haven't won a game for so long. We haven't won a game this season, obviously, in the league. Um, we've had that many games, especially at home, where we've gone ahead and we've not seen it out. Even with a 3-0 win, you're not expecting us to play that lead. The main thing was to keep it tight the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, just not let them get away into the game. We did that really well. Um, and But it's sensible, you know, take take Corne off. The game's won. We don't need to risk him getting injured, etc., because we're so reliant on him at the minute. You know, sit back, sit deep. We've been good at it in the past. I think that'll restore a bit of confidence that we can we can go for that approach and, and we can and it will pay dividends so for me it was in some ways it was quite comforting you know the fact that we were able to to basically sit on a three nil for for half the game but uh yeah uh, that's not to say that i wasn't nervous yeah so uh i just wanted to say i wasn't um i just i've just ignored all the corner questions all i've done at work and when i've seen friends and stuff since is talk about maxwell corner you've asked me two questions about corner <laughs> and i've just completely ignored them <laughs> Um, but yeah, I agree with Tom. Right. I'm fine with the I substitution. Um, you just—I don't think it was as um, we weren't as an attacking threat going forward in the second half. Uh, he wasn't getting on the ball much. We, he's obviously gone off injured a couple of times in recent games. We're three 0 up. Just protect the lead. No, no problem at all with the substitution. Yeah, agree. Excellent. 
Um, it's a good point there, actually, about injuries and things like that, and, and talking about that that moment of being um, a bit nervous, Tom. Was there any justification, do you think, for Daesh to really like tighten things up and with maybe like 15 minutes to go just to bring a third defender on and take maybe one of the, the forwards off and like just properly see out the game? Because we talked about that against Brighton, didn't we? I know on one of Rich's rants, um, he talked about his, his anger that um, we didn't do that of the Brighton game. Um, I guess maybe we were never really under any trouble, but I wonder whether that's something that Dash could have done. Yeah, like you say, it's not usually them out. It's normally a, a striker for a striker and just keep the legs going up front. I think, especially at 3-1, the danger if you bring another centre-half and, and really sit on the edge of your own boxes, you're inviting teams onto you. Brentford this season, we've seen keep going the attack. They've got a lot of confidence. So I think it was important to still have an outlet to still try and retain possession and keep the ball in their half. And obviously, if you if you take an attacking player off and put a defender on you, you lose your ability to do that somewhat. So um, it's not something you normally see from Daesh. I don't think it would have been the correct uh, the correct move in that game. Maybe at three 0 but at three one, I think all you're doing if you if you do that is signalling to the opposition that you're nervous and uh, and you're not looking forward to the last fifteen minutes. So better to take the approach we did, I think, and just and keep the ball, keep it in the far corner, and, and keep it away from our goal as much as possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Um, moving on then to, to wider things that have happened this week and a lot of the pre-match build-up was a celebration of the fact that we have now marked nine years at the helm for Sean Dyche and his side, which is remarkable in generally speaking, but even more so when you consider um, the manager merry-go-round that the Premier League dictates. Look at this week. Uh, Nuno Santos has already been sacked as Spurs coach and we are, what, 10 games in? Um, so Watford have already got rid of one coach. You know, so we've, we've played 10 games and two coaches have gone already this season. Um, two managers, sorry. Um, looking back, Adam, over the last... I'm going to ask both of you this question. There's been pretty much mainly ups in Daesh's tenure and, and I don't think there's really been that many downsides even the years we got relegated we were never really that miserable about it um, so I'm going to ask you to pick just one you can't pick more than one but what's been your personal highlight of the nine years of Daesh's reign oh, you've, you've ruined that I were definitely going to try and sneak two in um but um, <laughs> ending um, ending the thirty four years at Ewood Park um, with uh, well with that come from behind win when everything were lining up that this was going to be the time we'd have the three under Dice we'd had the three draws previously where um, we'd got a late goal with Vokes and then Rhodes had hit one in off Duff's backside. Um, I think it was actually before before both of them were the uh, last minute David Dunn uh, offside by a mile goal to equalise in the ninety fifth minute. Um, so being at all those games, being at like the five nil um, in two thousand and one, uh, so, yeah, two thousand and one, uh, like one of my first first away games, all that misery to finally get the win at Ewood Park, um, and at the time I didn't really. Do sell big celebrations for him to come and acknowledge the fans. He, he knew what it meant to everyone, um, and it was just 
it was just an incredible atmosphere in that way in that day. And um, and getting the bus back through a miserable Blackburn were just um, just absolute <laughs> music to me. As it were, it was a fantastic day all round. So yeah, that's that's the one. But there's like you said, there's been so many. Yeah, there really has. Tom, same question to you then, and hopefully you'll pick one that isn't Ewood Park. Albeit that's that one's going to take some beating. But do you have a different one that's up there as your personal highlight? Definitely up there for me, um, but not, not my number one. Um, a, few, a few kind of little I don't know, ambitions, maybe you call them, to, to have as a football fan. I, I never thought I'd see us playing the top division. Obviously, we'd already achieved that by the time we got Dash. Um, I'd love to you know, win, a, win a cup at Wembley, I guess, about the playoff final, so that's something. But one thing that um, Dash has given us that I never thought I'd see is, is, is to see Burnley play in Europe, and that really was incredible. Um, I've spoken on here before that I was lucky enough to go to, to all the European aways. Um, you know, Aberdeen was a was a fantastic trip. Um, Istanbul and, and Athens was really just not even just for the match, but for the cities are special places. You know, I went to the Parthenon, the Hagia Sphere. You think I wouldn't have got a chance to do all this without Sean Dyche? Um, so it's perhaps stretching the definition of moments somewhat, but for me, it's the the European Games. So I, I absolutely love that. I'd love to do that again sometime. Yeah, two really good ones actually, and and interestingly, my. Um, I my mine's a different one. So out of the three of us on on the analysis show this week, we've all got different ones. Albeit, I've got to say in a similar thread to Tom seeing the Clarets walking out uh, away at Aberdeen for that European fixture. But that's obviously the same the same as Tom's. But my number one was winning the title and just being there. The end of the twenty three undefeated season. Um, to actually win the championship title and lift that inflatable trophy. Because it just felt at that time that the team that we had had been together a while. By that point, they were a, a really strong band of brothers. Um, we had Joy at the helm, who absolutely dragged them to that championship after a really disappointing first half of the season, actually. But I think by Boxing Day, we were, what, seven points adrift and we'd just been beaten 4-0 by Hull. Um, so everything was, was going badly and then they just went on this incredible run. And to to just be away at, um, at, the, at, the, at the game where we clinched the title and just celebrate winning a trophy, because we don't normally, as, as Burnley fans, win something. We know we don't win cups. We're never going to win the Premier League. Um, we'd obviously we'd, we'd won the playoff trophy and we'd won um, well, a couple of playoff trophies. But to win an actual championship medal like that was was really impressive for me. And the championship is a notoriously difficult league to play your football in. So that was my personal highlight. Um, a few others then from the Known and Ever team. I mentioned earlier on, I've not mentioned it for a couple of weeks in the podcast, actually. Um, many of you, quite a vast majority of you now do subscribe to this newsletter. So if you don't yet, do please get in touch. Um, the, the the wider team of Known and Ever, headed up by Jamie Smith, do um, a newsletter every Monday straight to your inbox. You can subscribe to it at knownandever.substack.com. Um, and it's just the thoughts of the, the Known and Ever newsletter team. Um, uh, as to what's happened that week and it's a really really great league uh, read it feeds into the podcast and vice versa so please do drop that a subscribe if you haven't yet um, and in this week's edition um, came out yesterday Jamie did highlight his top five um, he said he actually agreed with me because of course he did um, number one on his list was winning the championship but winning it in style um, celebrating with a bloke trophy which was just hilarious um, secondly he agrees with Tom Burnley in Europe might never happen again and he loved every moment of it 
Um, number three on his was getting Joey Barton to behave himself. And he, he does know that it must have been some omelette. And yeah, it must very much have been. Um, number four, he agrees with Adam, finally beating that ugly lot from down the road about time. And he has number five, Maxwell Corney. And yes, I'm going to put, I'm going to add to Jamie's number five there and say um, Maxwell Corney slash Stephen Defoe, because they have been our two massively successful international um, ambassadors for Burnley Football Club. And, you know, let's hope that in January, particularly if we are going to lose Corner to the African Nations Cup, that we get, um, that they get brave in the transfer market and we get somebody else, we get out into Europe and get some more in there. Um, that's probably all we have time for this week, actually. I don't think we've got a massive amount of other talking points. Um, next up is Chelsea, away from home. And a tough one, really, to have to go to when you've just got your first win. Um, I don't think we are expecting to get anything from that game, but that's not to say that we won't try our hardest, but I think that's going to be a tough ask. So let's let's go past the Chelsea game and let's just assume that that's going to be a loss, but if we get a point or, or three, brilliant. Um, where do you stand on the Palace game? Because our next game's at home to Palace, Adam, and I'm not entirely sure that's one we would want either. It's winnable, but also very difficult at the same time. Well, we, uh, we did the double over them uh, last season. Um, obviously, yeah, they're a team full of confidence. Uh, we've had really mixed results, uh, like some really good results and bad results over the years. Um, a lot of that depends on whether Zaha is in the team, or a lot of it anyway. Uh, we were lucky enough to play them twice without Zaha last season. Uh, but I think we've got to take ownership ourselves. If we keep performing at the level we're at, uh, the, at the level that we did against Brentford, uh, we're going to cause a number of teams' problems, and um, I think it, it could go. That game could go either way, um, but it's yeah, it's one to look forward to, and one we can uh, uh, we can really show up to bring on the three points. I think we can cause them some problems. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, do you agree with that analysis? If you think we've got anything to fear from Palace, yeah, they look a decent team. Obviously, had a great result at the weekend. I think maybe been slightly overplayed in that they've, they have only won two games now I think because the wins are in at Tottenham and Man City they've really stood out but I've, I've heard people talking about them as this is the finished article and I, I don't think they quite are yet but I think they're doing better than a lot of people expected them to given that they got the air in so late and there was so much upheaval in the summer uh, for me it's similar to the Brentford game you know showing respect they're obviously doing better than we are this season as are most teams but it's a game we've got a target winning at home. Um, like Adam said, you know, we're worried about our own performance against Brentford and it's always right. We need to start putting a few wins together, you know, in a, in a short space of time because, as, as you made the point earlier, Natalie, we said Brentford is a must-win. And look what would have happened if we'd have lost. We'd have been six points adrift already. Um, we're still three points adrift now. Like you say, we're probably not going to get anything on Saturday. So we, we can't let that gap grow and grow. Um, so for me, yeah, it, it's a game that we should be looking to win. Um, and that, as, again, as I say, that's not disrespecting Palace. I think they've had a good start. I think they're a decent team. But at the same time, they are beatable. And if we're serious about staying in the league, then these are the kind of games we need to be looking to pick three points up from, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Um, do you have any temptation at the weekend against Chelsea to rest any players um, and or maybe try and play? Somebody said this to me at the weekend, and I genuinely don't know how I feel about this, but given that... You know, we're not going to go into it defeatist, but given that the chances are we probably won't get anything, should we be starting to look at giving games like this an opportunity to some of our fringe players or some of our kids on the bench 
some exposure to the Premier League and try and see how they handle situation in a pressure environment? Or is that a no-no? Uh, not for me. And I think it goes against what we've done. I don't, especially with an international break coming up. Um, we don't have that many players going away. Um, just we've got to go into it. We, I think Dyche actually says we're going to every game thing we can, thinking we can win it. I uh, don't know how true that is, but um, no, I'd, I wouldn't be resting any players. I'd be If they're available, I'd be starting the same 11 this weekend. Tom, I assume you were going down that same path. Yeah, well, our record at Stamford Bridge in terms of it being the top six round is not the worst. We've got a couple of draws there in the past. Obviously, had that fantastic win that time with uh, the two the two great goals. So, but for me, we're not in a position to be to be right enough any games. You know, we've got one win out of the first ten. If we start throwing away games that we don't think we can get anything out of, you know, where, where do you start with that? You know, we're, <clears throat> we've dropped points in winnable games. So for me, we need to be looking to make those points up in other games. If that's the point at Stamford Bridge or all three. Brilliant. As you say, it's not that likely, but at the same time, we can't go into the game thinking that it's an impossibility. Can't be doing that with any game because of how badly we've started. Yeah, here, here. And that's a very good point to end the podcast on, I think. Um, let's keep it with a statement of intent that we are going to go into each season trying to stay up. We're going to go into each match trying to win. And we are going to be very mindful of our position in this league and we're not going to let one win derail the master plan. Um, listeners, if you agree, disagree, want to add to anything that we've said on tonight's podcast, you can get in touch with us by tweeting us at known and never, or you can email us at podcast at knownandever.net. Um, we will be back on Friday. Dave and I will be back for the preview show where we look ahead at that away trip to Stamford Bridge. And the rest of the team will be back, minus me. I'm away next week, so I won't be with you. Um, and I shall be on a plane and I shall be in a different time zone, which will be impressive. My first time post-pandemic to get away. So the rest of the team will be back next week. I don't know who will be at the helm yet. Somebody will. Um, we'll put Rich at the helm. We'll put a ranty Rich on. That'll be entertaining um, and see how that goes down. But do please do tune in um, because we will be talking about the Chelsea game and we will be talking about what we need to do in the international break and beyond. My thanks as ever go to everyone who's contributed to making this podcast, to my colleagues Adam and Tom for joining me and dissecting that fantastic win which we're all still very happy and buzzing about to produce a map for editing all of this and getting it out there live and finally to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this episode your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you this has been the no name ever podcast until next time days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.